What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. Amen. How are we doing, church? Good. How are we doing? Come on. A little bit more energy. Sunday morning. We're together. Um, my name's Adam, and I'm the young adult pastor here at Southport. Um, currently, uh, in our home, there was just like a bomb of sickness that has just dropped over all of us. And so, uh, Grace and uh, Tegan are online. Hello. Hello, Tegs. Uh, and everyone else that's watching. Um, but uh, if I just suddenly need a cough or drink some water, please um, stay with me, and, uh, or if I pass out, just drag me off and sing the last song. Um, but uh, I'm excited to be able to open God's Word with you this morning as we continue on in our Corinthians series. And so uh, this week I was chatting to my mom, Sandy. I don't know if you've met her, and she's a part of this church, and mums are great. They're even great, better for um, sermon illustrations. Um, she was talking to me about a... Um, a pavlova that she made. How good does that look, by the way? Oh, wow. Pavlova is an Australian thing, isn't it? Well, I think so. I think, I think we should take ownership of it. Um, and Christmas is coming, so we know Pavlova's coming. Um, and uh, this particular day, my mum was making a pavlova, and so she was uh, putting all the ingredients together, and I won't try and pretend I know how to make a pavlova. I don't but I'm sure it takes some skill. And uh, she put all the ingredients together and she dished it up and it looks something a little bit like this probably and, uh, and, and dished it up and uh, the first mouthful um, was not met with this beautiful, sweet, uh, light dessert. Uh, it was met with this strong flavour of salt. Who's ever done that? Have we got a few people that have done that? Um, as mum was making this beautiful creation, instead of sugar, she put salt, um, which ended in absolute disaster. You see, the reason I tell you that story is mum set out to make something beautiful and great, and she missed out on one essential ingredient. And, and what we're going to look at today in, the church, uh, in Corinthians is the church of Cor Corinth have actually left out a key uh, ingredient or component uh, in their worship and in their faith. And because of that, the, the church is in danger and the, the church is uh, in division. Uh, and, and that thing that they're missing is love. Um, this whole week, uh, the song, what's love got to do, got to do with it? It's just been, it's, we've been singing it. Uh, as a staff team, almost in every situation, because it can't get out of my head. I said I'd get you guys to sing it, but I won't do that. I'm not game enough. Um, but, uh, well, Tina Turner, love's got everything to do with it, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, that love is the only way, that for you and I to live a life that is effective, that is going to make a long-lasting difference in us and in people and in the church, love is the only way. And so why don't you join me as I pray? 
uh, and then we'll continue on with the service. Lord God, we just ask this morning that you would just move in this place. Less about, Lord, my, uh, the, the way that I'm going to speak this morning, uh, whether it be eloquent or not, uh, and more about just the power of your spirit at work in this place and in our lives. And, and so, God, I just pray you would take uh, your scripture um, your words, uh, and Lord, that you would just transform our hearts as we begin to look at what this means to be uh, a people that are about your love. Um, and so, Lord, we, we love you and we thank you. Uh, and I pray, God, for anyone that's brand new today, that you would just reveal yourself to them in a really special way. Um, we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Awesome. So, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But let me just give you a bit of a snapshot, seeing we've had a bit of a break with our Philemon or Philemon uh, I mean, miniseries. But we've just walked through chapter 12, and now chapter 12 uh, tells us, as believers in Jesus, um, that we have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and He has gifted us, uh, dispensed to us spiritual enablements or, or gifts. In chapter 12, Paul looks at those gifts and abilities by which believers minister to the body of Christ. And then if we step forward to chapter 14, it will tackle, which we'll tackle in a couple of weeks, um, we will come to see that Paul gives us specific instructions on those specific use of gifts. Instructions as to how to properly exercise these spiritual gifts. Now, between these two chapters, Paul brings an interruption. He drops in this poetic text on love. Um, he, he interrupts and he says, hey, I've got a more excellent way. Why? Because the only environment or space in which the church and these gifts function properly is an atmosphere of love. To give you context uh, about where the Church of Corinth is, uh, it's pretty messed up. Um, as a healthy church, it, it isn't very healthy. It's not under control of the Holy Spirit. They were selfish. They were full of pride. They were self-willed, self-motivated, and doing their own things to promote themselves regardless of others. And so we normally hear 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings, and we're like, this is so beautiful. And I had it at my wedding, I'm not going to lie. Um, but when we look deep into it, actually Paul's quite pointy with what he's trying to address with this church and how important love is and how we should be operating in love. And when we're not, it's a bit of a salty pavlova situation. Now let's have a look at this verse. They've been on the screen. What does a lack of love result in? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Let's just have a look at those three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul starts here by saying, if I hypothetically, he's picturing, he's picturing himself hypothetically as the world's most gifted tongue speaker. 
being able to speak eloquently of both men and of angels. And now, um, in, in a couple of weeks, there's actually going to be these two hot topics that we're going to be looking at, um, especially uh, around the church world, which is tongues uh, and is prophecy. Now, I'm handballing those to both Bryce and Steve, um, which is fantastic. I get to talk on love. How cool is that? Um, and so we're going to look at uh, our tongues uh, in two weeks' time. Um, and then the week after that, we're going to be looking at uh, prophecy. Now, as we look at this, just on a general sense, when he says tongues of men and angels, we can see it as maybe a tongues that's interpreted in Acts chapter 2. We can see it as maybe, as Paul's referring to here, maybe it's a, a closed t- private tongues bef- between God and, and man. Or, or maybe he's referring to tongues of actually speaking before, uh, like I'm speaking now. But regardless, what he's saying is that if I have all these things, yet I do not have love, I sound like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So I'm going to give you an example of what that sounds like. Sorry, drummer. I think that hurt me more than it hurt you. See, what Paul is saying is that when we have not love, It's an annoying, loud, empty noise. It's obnoxious. A noise that only brings attention to ourselves. He's saying without love, the spiritual gift is only something used to glorify and serve others instead of actually serving others and building up the church. Verse 2, let's have a look. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. Again, this is where we see this word, uh, prophetic powers. Now, whether Paul taught, he's talking about, uh, this is to speak forth something. So whether it be revelation of God speaking or whether it be reiteration of like what I'm doing. I'm actually speaking scripture to you guys. He's saying, I can be the world's best preacher, teacher, speaker of God's voice. Yet without love, it is meaningless Isn't that challenging? Doesn't that just sound so awesome? It does to me. You see, when I stand up on stage here and every other pastor stands up on stage here, or I hope whoever you hear from this stage, it is coming from a place of love, a deep, deep love for you. Now, while I don't know all you at a deep, deep level, the heart in which I talk to you guys this morning is purely a heart of love for you and, and nothing else. And, and I've got to continue to check my heart with that. Paul continues, he says, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Now, I, I think uh, mysteries meaning here anything that is beyond human discovery. So if I know all truth and knowledge, um, I think, again, in the church, I think knowledge is something we idolize, we, we pedestal. If we, we say, hey, I'm a, I'm a good or a bad Christian, depending on how much I know, what authors that I listen to or read, how much do we put that as a, 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 as a real marker of whether you're a good Christian or not? And I think what happens, and I can be a testament to this, that we pursue truth to the extent that we actually miss out and don't see those that are hurting and needing our help around us. Paul Kint continues, and I won't labor on this one, but he says, faith to move mountains, so confidence in God can do anything. Verse 3, if I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. 
Okay, you can be the best ever at the transformation track this month. I hope you don't remember the transformation track. Zane beautifully spoke on it last week. You can give, you can give all your time, all your energy, all your money away. You'd be called the king of the track. That's, that's your name. Yet without love, he's saying it means nothing. To the extent that you are willing to give your life, that you are willing to die for your faith. Come on, it's getting pretty radical, isn't it? You can do all of those things, yet without love, it means nothing. See, for the Paul, he's saying it can just be an act of self-glory, self-promotion. Look at me. So what's, let me recap those verses. God is not saying that these things are nothing in a sense of the spiritual gifts. Because all of these are something. They're incredible things. But a person in whom love is lacking is nothing. He is nothing in the account of God as a believer in Christ. Nothing as a Christian. So Paul is saying, as a church, hear this. Our worship, our use of spiritual gifts, our passion of praise, the energy we give, the size of our offering, the size of our building, the fact that we could be the best um, scholars that there are amounts to nothing in the absence of love. Isn't this challenging? Let me ask you this. What motivates you this morning? What drives your Christian faith? What drives you in the way that you speak? And treat those around you. The ways that you use or don't use your gifts here at Southport. You see, what Paul is getting here in the first three verses, and it's my first point, is this. God wants your heart. Or you could say, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Above all, God wants your heart. I know this for sure because Pastor Zane spoke about it last week and he's a man after God's own heart, I think. We might remember a story in the Old Testament of 1 Samuel. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there. But Samuel is sent by God to find the next king. So he meets a man named Jesse and his sons and Jesse comes along and he lines up all his sons. And, you know, you might, you've all probably heard the story if you're new. Um, it's, it's a powerful one. And he lines up all his sons and they're, they're strong they're tall, maybe they're attractive, they've got a good head of hair. It's all happening, right? And he's like, surely these are the ones, God, that you, this is the one you want me to anoint as king. And God says this, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God goes on to anoint David, who's faithfully serving and tending the sheep. And we see he's a man after God's own heart. You see, the heart in Scripture is a person's inner moral and spiritual life. The command center of the soul, the mind, and the will. This part of us, our hearts, your heart, matters to God above all things. We see, uh, you know, an example of this in the New Testament where uh, we see Judas Iscariot. And, and, you know, he's a disciple of Jesus and he's doing his thing. And from the outside, everyone would think that he's just a guy following after Jesus. Now, while everyone thought that and saw that, Jesus saw through that 
and he saw Judas's true heart. In John 6, he says, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is the devil? Speaking of Judas. Isn't that heavy? There is no fool in God. He sees through the man to the heart. There's a story I heard this week, and you may have heard it before. There is a gardener who decides to present his king with the greatest carrot he has ever grown. The king is touched and responds by giving the gardener a large plot of land. A nobleman who witnesses this event notices it would be to his advantage for him to present the king with his finest horse. He does so, and the king merely thanked him for the horse. The nobleman is confused. You know, the guy got, the farmer got the land. The nobleman is confused, and so the king explains to him, well, that gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Isn't that pointy? Isn't that challenging? I wonder if you can hear yourself in that story today. God sees through the man, and he sees the heart. And this is what's happening in the church of Corinth, and I think this is what can happen in our lives uh, as people and as believers You see, the presence of love in our life will always be the result of the condition of our heart. John MacArthur says this, The absence of love has nothing at all to do with what is happening to us, but everything to do with what is happening in us. The absence of love is the presence of sin. And that's why we read in Proverbs, the writer says, Guard your heart above all things, because everything flows from it. Friends, let me say this, there's always going to be a part of our hearts that is bent away from God, that is seeking to do the wrong thing, that is looking for opportunities to do that. But this is why Scripture says, guard your heart, because it is the most important thing that we can have, the most important thing for God. We need to guard it because each day and each moment, the world is trying to win it over trying to shape it, trying to make it more like itself. And what happens as we allow our world to be shaped like the world, our heart to be shaped like the world, our homes, our relationships, our church, our world looks nothing different to the world around us. And this is what is happening. Friends, let me ask you this question. What is the condition of your heart today? Now, that can be a bit of an abstract question because it can seem hard. Let me ask you this. An easy line to notice, is life about me or is it about God and others? Have you noticed that this month's practice of challenge to give your time, your energy, your finances away, that it's been something that you're continuing to wrestle with because you just want to live for yourselves? You see, Paul tells us we need to fill our hearts. And what, and what needs to fill our hearts, what needs to drive us, is this beautiful thing called love. God doesn't want to leave our hearts the way that they are. He wants to make our hearts more like His heart. And so what's this love? What's this love, if love is the only way? If we look at the English language, we will see one word for love. We all know this. I love my dog. I love my wife. I love church pink bun. I love KFC. You know I know what it does to me. But we get in trouble because if I say I love my wife in the same way that 
I love my dog, I'm going to get in trouble. Now, maybe that's different for you. Maybe you love your husband the same way you love your dog. But what Paul is trying to say here, or what, what the Greeks give us, sorry, clarity here, is that they have multiple words for love, as we know, depending on the context. Sorry for my sniffle. I did bring, I'll blow my nose in a little bit. This particular word is agape love. And I've got a little definition here. Agape is a pure, selfless, self-sacrificial love towards another. It's the highest type of love. It's a, it's a godly love. It's a love that gives expecting nothing in return. It denies oneself of its, or of the, of its rights for the sake of another. It's not deserved or earned, but freely given as a result for the concern of another. A church, this is important because this is the secret ingredient that's going to mean whether our church or your very life is effective in the eyes of God or not. Whether we are presentable before God. Let me uh, lay some simple foundational truth on this love. Number one is this. God is the source of this love. 1 John 4, 7 to 8 says this. Beloved, let us love one another for the love for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. John writes, for love is from God and God is love. To say God is love is not just to say that uh, it is something that he does, but it is to say it is the essence of who he is. Um, C.H. Todd, I don't actually actually know, I've never met the guy, but he says this, it might stand alongside other statements such as God creates, God rules, God judges. That is to say, it means that love is one of his activities. But to say God is love implies that all his activities is loving activities. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is the expression of his nature, which is love. Isn't that beautiful? I feel like I have, I feel like God gives us some, in different aspects of life, a bit of an understanding of how to fathom or understand His love. And I think one of those ways is um, uh, in a family situation. Um, I have recently become a father. She is uh, nine months old. There she is, looking pretty um, and slowly becoming more and more rebellious. but, um, you know, you, you, you go, and I know everyone's, uh, you know, walk with children is, is different in this room. And, and so you go through the pregnancy and, you know, it's a hard deal for the male. Um, <laughs> it's a really hard gig. Um, but, no, you've got to watch your, my tea again. I've got to watch my wife sick for, you know, half of that pregnancy. And then you're going in and out of hospital and you're doing those things. And Gracie just came into the world very quickly and um, at, at a huge cost. But uh, I just remember this feeling of, uh, in the chaos of everything that was happening, the moment that I ha- and Tegan and I set our eyes on Grace, um, the moment that we saw her, it was just like, it wasn't a necessarily a choice, it was just she inherited our love. There was nothing that she could do, there was nothing that she could say, there was nothing that she could go wrong, she didn't have to earn it, she didn't have to deserve it, she never will have to earn it or deserve it. She just inherited freely the, any amount of love that I have in me for her. Now, I understand that has become 
toddlers that can get a bit harder than that. That inherited love feels different. Um, but it was just this beautiful moment, and I am an imperfect father, and Tegan is an imperfect mother, and our love is imperfect, but God is a perfect father, and his love is perfect, and he just loves you so much. It's, it's not just what he, he is, but it's actually what he gives to us as well, that we just inherit this beautiful and timeless love from God. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. But secondly, he is the source of, the, of this love by what he did for us. You see, the early church only know agape love by actually looking and hearing um, the words and the actions of Jesus Christ. That's how they really formed this picture of agape love. And Rosemary, you spoke about this beautifully as you shared around the life of Jesus. But when we follow the life of Jesus, we just got to look at, at what he did and who he walked with. As he walked through towns, he ate with the marginalized, he healed the sick. He, spent, he, he showed his heart for humanity. You know, he gets even more audacious about this God pay love when he says, you know, um, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Sheesh, isn't that tough? That's his love. Now to truly understand agape love, though, is to look at the cross. It is most visible on the cross. Let's read here as John continues in this verse. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. <clears throat> Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. I can never get that word right. Isn't that love? Church, let us never become too familiar with this story. This is what we're about. People encountering and transform, being transformed by the love of God. Tonight, we celebrate as the love of God has transformed two women's lives. One at the beginning of her life and one woman who's coming towards the end of her life. And we're going to hear... No, I don't say it in a bad way. She's not dying. She's not dying. I just mean she's not... I'm just going to not dig myself a hole here. But what you've got to hear me in saying is God has transformed their life. You see, it was agape love that met us when we were spiritually dead and lost, living our own way with no concern for God. It was agape love that sent Jesus to the cross. It was love that meant he endured being beaten, mocked, spat on, betrayed. And in the midst of it, he cries out and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's agape love. It's an agape love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That you in this room, he saw you in your brokenness and he sees maybe you in your brokenness right now. In your darkness, in your pain, and he wants to rescue you out of it. With nothing that you can bring to the table. Nothing that you can offer him. This is love. Let me ask you this. I wonder if you're here today and you know this love. I wonder if you're here today and you don't know this love. Today, you can know this love. 
If you're here and you're brand new, or maybe you've been coming for a few times and you actually, this, this message of love hasn't landed in your heart, I believe that this morning you are not here by accident. I believe that God has ordained you to be in this place, listening to some young guy talking about love, because he wants you to know his love. He wants to help you. He wants you to know him and walk with him. He wants you to live in the God-given purpose that he has for your life. And today, I want to give you the opportunity to actually know that love. The second person I want to talk to is the problem is that we become too familiar with this love. We become numb to this gospel and to this love. And you know what? I think the reason is, I believe, is that what we do is we take ourselves out of the story. We say, oh, I know that. That's for that other person who hasn't met Jesus yet. We take ourselves out of the story. Jesus died not just for the collective, but you. You personally. He sees you and he loves you and he died for you. And in our pursuit to be faithful to him, we lose sight of this love. We become numb to this love and it stops driving us and motivating us. Here's what I want to do. I'm actually not finished yet. I've got a solid three minutes. But here's what I'd love to do is I want to give you an opportunity here in this room to respond to God. Two groups of people. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus... He is calling you into a relationship with Him. He says, hey, I want you to repent and believe. I want you to turn from the life that you're living, face me and believe in me. That Jesus died, was raised again and and forgave you of your sins so you can have life and life abundantly. The second person is if you're here and you're numb to this love, the Holy Spirit wants to revive in you this beautiful sense of agape love. He wants to remind you of this love. He wants you to be driven by this love. He doesn't want you to be numb to it. He doesn't want you to be like, I've heard this, I know this. No, he wants it to overflow through you, in you and through you, to the world around you. So if you're here, here's what I want us to do, all of us in this room. This isn't for me, it's between you and God. I just want us all just to close our eyes. There's nothing special about my words, but here's what I want to say. If you're here today and you fit either of those categories, that you're like, you know what, I've got got a little bit familiar with this message. I want to be renewed and refreshed with this love. I want you to put your hand up when I ask. And if you're here today and you're like, I don't know this, this love and I want to go on this journey of giving my life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity as well. So if that's you, if you're in this room with every eye bowed and head bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to put your hand up between you and God. You can just do that now. Awesome. Let me pray for you. Lord, Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for each and every person who put their hand up. God, whether it's the first time that they've put their trust and hope in you and they just want to know you and know your love, or whether they're here, Lord, and they, maybe we didn't put our hand up, but we're just, we're feeling desperate, we're feeling dry, we're feeling numb to this message. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just meet every single person where they're at. I ask right now that you would just transform our hearts and our minds and our lives to know your love and to live 
for your love and to be led by your love. Because, Lord, there's no other way to live. That love is the only way. And so, God, right now, I just pray for every single person. May you just have a way with them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm minus 10 10 seconds and I've got another point. So I won't be doing that. But you can just keep playing. That's cool. Here's, here's what I want to say with this. This is the last point. I'll sort of capture it. Is um, who's hearing this love and it's like, that's really hard. Like that is a really costly love. How do I, how do, I do that? Um, well, the first, the first thing is that God is the source of this love, but he's the sustainer of this love. He actually, it's the Holy Spirit at work in you that's going to be, enable you to actually give this love. You can't just pull up your socks and, and, and you know, just, just do your best. You can't do it. You're not going to be able to. There's going to be people in this church right now that have hurt you so badly. And no matter what you have inside of you, without God, it is not enough for you to approach that person and forgive them or talk to them or serve them or love them. And that is one of many things that we struggle with that divides us and prevents us from being the church, right? In Ephesians 3, 16 to 70, Paul says... I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with the power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, our heart issue is something God deals with. And what He does, He doesn't ask us to do something without empowering us to actually do it. This is God's work. What we need to do is come before Him, surrender our heart and our lives, call out the things that are blocking us, Sin that isn't, isn't, it shouldn't be present in our life and allow Him to just move in and through us. And so to land, how does, this, how does this practically work? Well, the first thing I would do, if you're here, a beautiful thing that we can ask is just come before God and say, search my heart. The second thing we could do is actually look at all the things we do or don't do and actually just ask, why do I even do these things? Have I just gone in the motion of doing them for no reason uh, because I just wanted to be faithful? Or is there, is there, is there a reason? There's a bit too much me in this thing. The third thing is uh, a question that Steve Peach gave us a few years ago that has really helped me analyze my actions and my attitude towards love, which is this question, what does love require of me? So I, as we finish, I actually want us to be, just say that out loud as I ask you a question. Is that cool? Because I think otherwise it could just be my words and we'll walk out and nothing will change. But So when I say something, I'm going to point to you and I want you to say, what does love require of me? Sound like a plan? Okay, here we go. When someone hurts me or I hurt someone, I ask myself, when someone is hurting or lonely and hard to get along with, so good. When someone is walking away from the church or struggling in their faith, when someone is physically sick and I can help them. When someone is discouraged or sad. We get the point, right? What that will do is we'll begin to target our motivations and our heart behind what we're doing and then what we should do to be the church and to show that agape love um, to our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, thank you for walking with me as I sniffed my way through this message. But 
Love is the only way. And God loves you. And I just want to say, if you're here and you put your hand up or you didn't and you wanted to, can you, I would encourage you to come down the front. The pastoral team, the prayer team will be here. We would love to pray for you. If you made that decision for the very first time to follow Jesus, uh, praise God, that is something we can only celebrate as a church. Um, that's right, you can celebrate that. That's why we're here, right? Um, we just want to walk through what that actually means, what, what's next, and help you d- discover and understand what the gospel is and who God is calling you to be. But let me just pray, and then the band's going to come up. Thank you for the beautiful keys, and uh, they're going to sing our last song. Lord God, we just thank you for all that you do in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for the ways that you have spoken to us in this room this morning. And I I ask, God, that you would just continue to speak to us as we leave this place now. God, that as we walk into our homes and our marriages, as we operate in this church, God, may you pull away the selfish desires of our heart and may you replace this agape, selfless, sacrificial love that you have for us and that you call us to give to those around us. Lord, for us that are tired in this room and are like, how can I do this? I pray you would just comfort them. Lord, fill them with your love. And Lord, may it just carry through them and through their day and their life. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.